Well, good morning. So glad you are watching with us today on this kind of dreary Sunday morning. Uh, we were talking earlier, you know, I can't remember the, uh, the exact date of the last time that we had to broadcast directly to the camera and not have anybody here on campus, but it's been a while. It was last May or June, I think it was Mother's Day, I think, that we started back. So it's been quite a while that we haven't actually had people on campus and I'm preaching to a camera. But thank God for technology and great people to run it to help us get the message that God has given us as a church in this series that we're in to you. So thanks for watching today online. Um, I, I'm excited that we get to continue this. We're, we're not having to call a service and be uh, just snowed in and not do worship and not be able to connect as a family. So at least we can do that. Uh, we've been working through this series in the letter of Titus, this book that... Uh, uh, Paul has given to his protege, Titus. He, Titus is on the island of Crete. And one of the cool things about this letter is it's got three chapters. And in the three chapters, chapter one really specifically deals with uh, sort of the leadership in the church. Who are the people that need to help Titus in this mission of Jesus in the church? And then who are the people that, that don't need to be in leadership? And then chapter two really goes into the home. And it talks about how we need to be discipled. Uh, to the Lord by each other. Older men disciple younger men and, and older women disciple younger women. And even when you work, do so in such a way that you honor God with the way you serve your employer. And so that's kind of focused around the home and kind of the internal condition of our hearts as we become the disciples that God wants us to be. And then in chapter three, which is where we're headed today, we talk about the effect of that discipleship in our lives to the world. So God has done this work in us. He has changed us. He is changing us. And as he does, he wants to show the world what an amazing God he is through us. And so that's where we're headed today. That's what we're talking about. Last week we talked about the fact that the same grace that saves us is the same grace that sanctifies us. And as God is sanctifying us, which is sort of just a fancy word for changing us from who we were to who he wants us to be, God is teaching us some very specific things through Paul in this letter to Titus. He talks, we talked last week about renouncing or stopping uh, ungodly things and, and the worldly passions in our lives. Instead, being a people that are self-controlled, that are upright, that are uh, uh, godly people. So when those around us see our lives, they, they give glory to God and they go, man, that guy loves Jesus and there's something different about him and I want to have what he has. That is kind of part of the goal of what we're learning in Titus. It all happens as a result of God's grace. He saves us by his grace. He, he, he sustains us by his grace. He sanctifies us by his grace. He keeps us by his grace. It's just this beautiful picture of God's amazing grace. So as we get into chapter three this morning, if you have your Bibles with you and your family, I ask you to turn over to chapter three as we look at some more of this sound doctrine that Paul is teaching to Titus and also to us. I'm so excited as I think about you, I think about the fact that maybe you're bundled up as a family on a couch or you're eating pancakes right now, and I love that. And what a beautiful opportunity for us to, to grow together and to learn together as we get into chapter 3 of Titus. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, remind them to be uh, submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Would you pray with me this morning as we get into this text? Father God, we love you so much. Lord, thank you for your kindness and your goodness. And even as we um, speak to a camera and we watch <laughs> maybe from the warmth, warmth of our home, God, that is a grace to us. And we thank you that we're still uh, able to gather as, as a family, even if it's through technology. I pray that you'd protect our people in this, uh, these wintry conditions, Lord, and that you would continue to help us to grow deep 
into you. Lord, it's our prayer that you would increase in this time, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would lead us to all truth, that I would decrease, and that as this finishes today and we finish our service online, that you would have been lifted up and that you would take us to a place of better understanding of knowing your truth and knowing your word and living it out, Father, before watching world. So we, we give you this time and we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, parents, I've got to ask you a question. Maybe you're surrounded right now and your kids are, you're working to get your kids to sort of pay attention at all. I get it. Let me ask you this question. As a parent, how many times have you had to uh, remind your children something? Is it once, uh, twice, three, four, five, six, seven? I mean, it just goes on and on, it seems like, sometimes in my house. As parents, that's part of what we do. We just continually remind our children to do the things we've asked them to do. I can't imagine, I can't think of how many times we have to go get your homework done or go get ready for bed. Those things seem to be many times sometimes that we have to ask because they need to be reminded. They forget so quickly, and yet even as I say that, I'm convicted because I know I am the same way. You know, I'm reading through uh, the Bible again this year, and even as I read it, I think about how much of, of that truth from the Old Testament resonates in our own lives. You know, the, the people of, uh, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, they're at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and, and Moses is literally just on top of a mountain, and they can literally see with their eyes this smoke and this cloud and the fire of God, and yet even though they can see that amazing presence of God, down below, they are unsatisfied. Down below, they have forgotten that he's right there. Down below, they've forgotten uh, that Moses has gone to represent them, and they build a golden calf to worship and say, you're the God that led us across the Red Sea. Of course, it's crazy. It's like, how quickly have they forgotten, and yet God is right there, and yet we do the same thing all the time. We forget, and we need to be reminded. Uh, to the nation of Israel, Psalmist writes in Psalm 106, verse 7 and 13, they did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. Or down at verse 13 when he says, but they soon forgot his work, speaking of God, they did not wait for his counsel. Does that sound like you? I know it sounds like me often, and I need reminding of God's goodness and faithfulness. Even Jesus had trouble with his disciples. I mean, these are amazing leaders. These are going to be the leaders of the church and they're there with Jesus himself. They've seen the most amazing miracles ever from the Son of God. And yet Jesus says in Matthew 16, 9, these uh, verses of remembrance. He says, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Jesus is reminding his disciples that you guys have forgotten these amazing things that God has done. In your presence, have you forgotten those? Have you forgotten the provision? Have you forgotten what even what was left over? And yet, how often do we do that? We forget the things of God. We forget the purposes of God. We forget the love of God, right? And we begin to follow other things. We're dissatisfied, and so we chase other things. And slowly we become removed from God. If I'm being honest with you, it's one of my greatest fears about um, not being together physically in this time of COVID. I know many of us are choosing and still and have to be separated and we support that 100% because that's what you need to do for your health. But one of the dangers in that is as we continue to stay further apart, we begin to do this very thing. We begin to forget who God is and how he loves us and what he expects of our lives and how we're to, to serve other people and live among people and, and walk out this doctrine that he's given us to serve him. So my prayer is that God, even in this time, hopefully COVID will come to an end or to a manageable place and we can come back together and be the people of God that he wants us to be. We're praying for you in that. All right, I got four things for you this morning that I want us to remember and I want us to think through in this text. The first one is this. Paul's telling to Titus, help the people to be reminded of how to live. When I, when I use the word doctrine, and we're talking specifically doctrine, that means how we live, the things that we believe, the truths that we believe about how we live. The teaching that we're giving, even today, is doctrine. And when it comes from the Word of God, it is sound doctrine. It is the truth. And God expects us to live based on those truths. That's doctrine. 
And so that's what we're trying to give. That's what we want to, to teach today. And uh, Paul is reminding Titus to remind the people, be reminded. That's the first thing I want you to see today. Be reminded. In fact, even the Greek word for, for reminded is a, an active verb, which means it's not only a, a one-time saying, let's be reminded. It's be reminded and keep reminding, keep reminding, keep reminding, kind of like you do with your kids about homework. Keep reminding. That is what this Greek word means uh, in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Let's look at it. Remind them and keep reminding and keep reminding and keep reminding them <laughs> to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. First thing that Paul wants to do here is remind them this is a continuation from chapters 1, chapters 2, and now into chapter 3. Paul's been teaching and, and reminding Titus of this doctrine, which is how we live, what we believe and how we live. And so this piece here, verse 1, is additional piece of doctrine. In other words, there's an expectation of God through Paul to Titus and the church in Crete to live in such a way that we are submissive to rulers. Be reminded of this. This is how Christians live, and to authorities, and to be obedient. Now, if there's, I don't know of a more timely word than this right now, right? It's, sometimes it's hard to be submissive to our rulers, our governmental authorities, to be obedient to them. I, and yet God's word says to do this. This is a part of living out sound doctrine. Uh, this would have been a hard thing to hear from the from Titus as a, as a Cretan person. You see, the island of Crete was subjected by the Romans in 67 BC. And so as you can imagine, being taken uh, prisoner in essence, a, a governing authority coming into your culture and into where you live and to who you are is a hard thing to accept. You, you would push back, you would be angry. In fact, one of their own, uh, the, one of the Greek uh, historians, uh, Polybius says that Cretans were continually involved in insurrections. Right? We've heard that word quite a bit lately. They were always involved in insurrections. They were always committing murders. <laughs> they were always involved in wars. That is a description of Cretans. So what we need to know about that is as Paul is reminding Titus to teach these Cretans, these people on the island of Crete, that factors in. Right? That, that is the context of, tit, of Titus's ministry. That is the context of who he has to do ministry to. This is a bunch of people who are a bunch of rebels. They don't want to be subjugated. They don't want to be subject to anyone. They don't want to uh, follow anyone's rule. They want to have their own way, much like many of us. And so Paul is considering this as he mentions how to live a godly life in this place. Uh, he also mentions the same doctrine in Romans chapter 13. Look with me if you would. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And if you want to continue sort of this study, stay in that chapter. In chapter 13, Paul does more explaining of what's going on in chapter 13 about this doctrine. But the bottom line is Christians need to be willing to be subjected to governing authorities. We follow uh, them. We obey what they ask of us. We are under their authority. Uh, he goes into that detail further in 13. But he's not the only one that speaks about this kind of doctrine as Christians. Peter does as well. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake. And can I just say that's it right there. We ask, why do we have to be subjected to our governing authorities? For the Lord's sake. This is God's will for Christians to live under this authority, and he has placed these people in authority. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or uh, to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So here's the point. If you call yourself a believer in Jesus, then we have to be submitted to governing authorities, those in authority above us. 
in our text today in Titus, it says not to only honor or subject ourselves to them, be submissive to them, but to obey them. So we have to follow these rules, and that is what Christians do. Christians aren't a part of insurrections. You know, at the Capitol not too long ago when we saw Jesus flags and crosses up on, on the mall there of the Capitol, that's not what Christians should be doing. That's not a thing that Christians do. We don't, we don't break into the Capitol. That is against this very word and doctrine that is being taught by Paul and Peter. Christians are a submissive people. Christians live quiet, humble, godly, good lives. So some of you asked this question this morning. Uh, well, so does that mean we have to follow our leaders for sure? What if I disagree with them? What if, what if I think the leader is evil? Well, listen, don't you think the leaders in this time that these, uh, this doctrine is being written, those leaders were evil. It was Nero who liked to light up the streets with Christians' bodies lit on fire. We're not having to face that, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty evil, and yet this same word comes down that we be a submissive people who obey. However, <laughs> this is a little caveat here, however, if our leaders ask us to do something against God's word, what do we do? Do we follow this doctrine to obey them, or do we push back? Well, we push back. Because ultimately, though we believe in authority, we believe the greatest authority is God's authority, not man's authority. Now, God has placed man in authority over us, and most of the time, he uses that authority to continue to shape our lives in submission. It's a good thing. But sometimes, uh, often, men go bad, and often there are evil situations, and it could be that even further and not that far from now, our governmental authorities tell us, you can't do church anymore. Well, like the nation of China, like the country of China, they're still meeting. In fact, they're growing like gangbusters, uh, even though they have to be submersive. Uh, they, they have to be um, quiet. They have to do what they do underground. And so, yes, we continue to follow God's word. We continue to be God's people. We continue to live the way God has called us to live this doctrine outside of man's authority if they ask us uh, to do something against it, right? So we have a biblical understanding of that. There's a, there's a scene here we see in, in Acts where the disciples have gone to the temple and they are preaching Jesus. Uh, a miracle has been done days before and they're preaching Jesus and they're arrested and they're brought before the Sanhedrin. Now keep in mind the Sanhedrin is the same council that crucified Jesus uh, not very long from this point on, Stephen will stand before this council and they will stone him to death right there in their presence. So this is a precarious place for Peter and the disciples to be in. And they tell the disciples, don't you preach this message of Jesus anymore. You be quiet. Don't do this any longer. What does Peter say in response? Acts 5.29, he says, it says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We, we don't have a choice here. We hear what you're saying, and you have the power to kill us right now. But we must obey God rather than men. So, yes, we have this doctrine from Paul as well as from Peter to be a godly people who are submitted, subjugated, uh, uh, sub, uh, surrendered, and obedient to our rulers unless they push on us and move us to a place where they're asking us to do something God would not want of us, and then we must obey God rather than men. At the end of that verse, uh, Paul says that we need to be ready for every good work. In other words, this is a verse that's speaking to that wor watching world, right? So we're going to be uh, submissive to our leaders and obedient to them, but we also need to be ready for every good work because they're watching. So the first thing I wanted to, to tell you about this morning is to be reminded. The second is to be ready. Uh, this is how we live in the world. When, when we have an opportunity to do something of good, to serve people, uh, to help, we do so. We're, we want to be ready. We, we ought to recognize that opportunity, and then we just got to go get to work. And to do that, we have to be selfless and obedient to God. And when we do that, uh, it, it gives glory to God. The, the world sees him through us. I'm a big fan of uh, UFC fighting. 
I don't watch many sports, but I, for some reason I like that. It's sort of a mashup of mixed martial arts and wrestling and boxing all together. But I'm always amazed at these guys, how ready they are for their opponent. They study films. They know if, if their opponent has a great right hand, they're going to be protected and watching for that sort of situation. In the same way, we need to be ready, prepared for any good work that comes our way, any opportunity we have to serve our, our city, our family, our neighborhood. If, if we can, we need to serve in that way. It was just a few years ago that there was a huge flood down in Houston. And the Houston area has a soft spot in, in my family's heart because Lori and I lived there for about six years. We love Houston, a lot of friends down there. And they flood all the time, but this was a major flood. And I just felt led of the Lord to put that out before the church and say, hey guys, there's a great flood down in, in the Houston area and I'm putting a team together. I'm, we're gonna go work several days down there. We're gonna pull out sheetrock and we're gonna help families in need. Anybody wanna go? And uh, I think we got a picture of the guys that are uh, went with me. My, my dear friend, Julian Dominguez was there. My buddy, Jason Johnson was there. Uh, Alberto Blanco was there, part of our church. And so we, we went down and we started working and we were working our tails off. And what's funny is in the middle of working, uh, this lady shows up at one of the houses and she's got a camera. She said, do you mind if I take your picture? And we're like, okay, we're not like, we don't like look the best right now, but she takes a picture of Jason and Alberto and they're cleaning and sweeping in this house that's been flooded. Next thing we know, our guys are on the front page of the newspaper the next morning. See, the beautiful example that this is, is we saw a need and we jumped on it. We were ready to do a good work, to serve. It wasn't about us. It wasn't for us. We jumped in. We started helping. And people noticed. Somebody looked at our church van and saw that it was Little Rock, Arkansas. And these guys are down in Livingston, Texas, serving at somebody's home. And so they put us on the, uh, on the picture on the front page of the news. What that did was give God glory. It, it basically helped people go, wow, these guys are doing some good work. Praise God for what they're doing. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said for us to do as believers? Matthew 5, 16, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's kind of what happened. We just went down to serve, and next thing we know, people are thankful for us being there, and we just keep pointing up and going, this is God's been good to us, and we just want to help. That's what being ready to serve is about, right? My prayer, my dream for South City Church is that the people around our building, the people around uh, this area, this neighborhood, either now or at some point would be, be able to go, thank God for South City Church. They, they helped me with food when I needed it. They, they were there for me. I know that they're serving the community and they're helping. Thank God for South City. Or even in your neighborhood, uh, my prayer is that your neighbors would go, thank God for that family right there. They served us. They helped us in a time of need. They're, they're always asking how they can help. That's what it means to be ready to serve, and that's the people that we want to be. So next, Paul starts to get really specific on a few things, as he has done in chapters 1 and chapter 2, and now in chapter 3. He's going to get real specific about this doctrine that we live he does it sort of in a negative and a positive way. Verse 2, he says, speak evil of no one. Speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I started thinking about this, and I'm like, can you imagine if just our church could really do this? Can you imagine if we, we never spoke evil of anyone? I mean, when, when the thought or the temptation came to your heart or your mind and you were angry with somebody and you, were, and you just stopped, the Holy Spirit was able to, to remind you, no, we don't speak evil of anyone. Man, what kind of a church could we be if, we, if, if the Holy Spirit would just help us to shut up sometimes, help us to be quiet, to shut our mouths sometimes, to be disciplined, to be discipled to the place where we want to honor God, even in just private conversations with our husbands or wives but that we would honor God and we would speak evil of no one. Peter says when we live this way, that's actually the best life you can live. 1 Peter 3.10 says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. In fact, when Paul says this, in the Greek, the word for speaking evil talks about blaspheming. Now, when we blaspheme, 
It's basically taking God's name in vain. It's saying, thing against, saying things against God's name as holiness. So you kind of ask, well, if I say something evil of somebody, that's not to God. But actually, it is. You see, every person has been created in the image of God. And so when we speak evil against the image of God, it's like blasphemy. It's a very serious thing, and we need to be careful to not speak evil of people. He also says, avoid quarreling. Now, this may be hard for some of you. Some of you love a good argument. Some of you love to be right, right? And I might be one of those at times, too. (laughs) But I started thinking about this, and this is what this means. It means I'm going to have to learn to be a bigger man. I'm going to have to forgive at times. I'm going to have to not always have the last word. I'm going to have to not always be right, even in the moments I was right. I don't have to prove it. I don't have to complete it. I don't have to argue it. Instead, I've got to be humble. Instead, I've got to be submitted to Jesus. And trust me, if we get to this place, it's because our self-confidence is not in us. It's in who we are in Jesus. It's in the fact that we don't have to win or lose an argument. We can be confident in who we are in Christ. Right? That's who we need to become. That's what we need to believe and how we need to live. It's going to look like apologies. It's going to look like surrender. It's going to look like letting things go that you don't want to let go of. And giving up your right to be right. Proverbs 15 says that a soft answer turns away wrath. Right? So it's a very temptation that you want to jump into it and you want to get into some sort of argument or quarrel. A soft answer and confidence in who we are in Christ will honor him more than quarreling. We should avoid such a thing, right? So I love this verse. Romans 12, 18 says, as if it's possible, which means it's not always possible, right? But if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So sometimes you can't be at peace. Sometimes it's, it's a really difficult situation, um, and you need to work it out. But if it's possible, and most of the time it is, right? As far as it depends upon you. In other words, it's not, you're, not, you're not responsible for anybody else's action. You're responsible for your actions. I'm responsible for my actions. And as far as it is, is, uh, depends upon me, I want to be a peacemaker. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. So if it depends upon me, let me live at peace. If I can go say I'm sorry, I need to go say I'm sorry. If I need to work things out in relationships, I need to do that. If I need to double check, are we okay? Can we do any? I need to do that. I need to be at peace with all people. Paul also says that we need to be gentle. When I think about the word gentle, immediately uh, this picture of my grandfather, I called him Papa, comes to my mind. He was a big man, at least when I was a little kid. He seemed like this giant, strong man. The truth is I'm actually bigger than he was now. But maybe it was the contrast about how big he was and yet how gentle he was. He was so gentle. He was so loving. He was so kind. And that, that's kind of the idea. We, we choose to be meek. We choose to be surrendered to Jesus. Even if people are treating us in a bad way, we can choose to be gentle with all people. Uh, I remember the movie The Green Mile, such a wonderful movie. And the, the main character in the movie is this big, muscle-bound guy. And you would think, in fact, he's, he's sort of, uh, they say that he's done some really bad things, which he didn't do. And, but really his character, his nature is so gentle. That's, that's who we need to be. We need to be a gentle people. In fact, Paul includes being gentle in this list of uh, fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, right? That gentleness is part of what it looks like to to, to love Jesus and to live out the fruits of a life in Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself described himself as gentle. Look with me, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, such a wonderful uh, section of scripture. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Jesus himself is gentle. He's gentle. And that's who we need to long to be. We want to be a gentle people, even as Jesus is. The next thing Paul says is that we need to show perfect courtesy to all. And I want to ask you very specifically a few questions to stir in your soul. Answer them to yourself honestly. Do you value 
all people? Or are there some that you don't value as much? Uh, Black, white, brown, yellow, blue collar, white collar, north, south, whatever the case may be, right? Uh, Do you value all people? Are you kind to all people? Do you love all people? You notice when you come in our doors of our building here, we have our, our mission statement up there. It says, we exist to love God and all people. That's not just what we want to be as an organization because the church is not a building with a mission statement on it. The church is a people. That means we want you to have that in your heart, that you love God with all your heart, that you exist to love him, but also that you love all people. That's what uh, Paul is saying for Titus uh, for us to be. It's more important than just a statement at your church. It needs to be lived out in your life. Is there any hint of prejudice in you? Is there any hint of bias in you? Any hint of judgment in you? Because can I just tell you, listen, if we can truly love all people, we can show them perfect courtesy. We can be so kind and so loving that they actually see Jesus in our lives. And when they see him in our lives, they see him. And hopefully they're drawn not to us, but to him. That's the point of good work. So Paul here has uh, said to Titus to remind people of how to live in doctrine. He's told Titus that we need to be ready when we get an opportunity to live out these good works to the watching world. But we also need to remember some things. The first thing he says we need to remember is who we were. Every time I worship, every time we we have worship in our church, and every time I, I get to a place with the Lord and I'm praying and worship, I can't help but think about who I was, this person that I was that didn't honor the Lord. Paul, I I love the way Paul is so honest about who he is. Look what he says in Titus 3, 3. For we ourselves were once foolish. This is who we were. We were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Something I love about Paul is that he's always willing to own his junk. Paul is always willing to own his mistakes, his problems, right? And so you hear these kind of phrases from Paul, I'm the chief of all sinners. That's, that's the kind of pastor I want to serve and want to be under, right? That's the kind of person I would want to follow. I, I don't understand why I do the things I don't want to do, and, and I can't seem to do the things I want to do. This is Paul. In the same way, Paul's going, remember who we were. Don't forget that we ourselves were all these things. And then he gets into all the specifics, right, of, of who we were. And who we were was lost people. We were lost. We, we didn't know Christ. And here's a list of some of the things uh, that we were and the way that we lived. He says we were foolish, which means either we didn't know about the things of God or we didn't care. We, we were either ignorant of God's word or we were apathetic to it, which means I don't care about God's word, right? So what happens when we live in that state is, We're self-centered, we're careless, we're reckless, we're not serious about things that matter most. We we like being the laughing stock, we're fools. In other words, we would rather entertain men than obey God. That's what lost people do. They're also disobedient, and the Lord knows I was so disobedient in my lost condition. That means that we're willfully not submitting to uh, the Lord in our life, in our actions. We're choosing our own way, and our own rules instead of God's. Do we realize that is the original sin from the Garden of Eden? That is pride. That is saying, I want to be my own God. I don't care what you told me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what lost people do. They're led astray because they don't have strong convictions. They're easily duped and conned. They don't have security in what they believe. They're not solid in their faith or their doctrine. They don't know it. They don't have any. So they're always looking for greener grass, right? They're they're slaves to various passions and pleasures. This is the first century sort of way of saying they were addicted to things. They had addictive personalities. They didn't care that they were addictive. They were slaves. Well, let me just tell you something about a slave. A slave has no choice, right? They're, They're held captive. They're stuck. They can't leave. And many of you know what I'm talking about because you've struggled with addiction 
And in that addiction, you felt like you couldn't get out of that addiction to alcohol, or you couldn't get out of that addiction to drugs or pornography or gambling or, or, or whatever the case may be, shopping. There are things in addictive personalities where we feel held captive, and lost people deal with this all the time. But the, but the gospel of Jesus makes us free, right? Lost people are also, he says, passing the days in malice and envy. Well, this is what I pass the days with. I have a job. I'm the pastor of this church. And so I pass my days pastoring people. In other words, there were people who there are people who are lost that pass their whole day in malice. Malice is when you think about how to do evil to people, how to harm them, how to say things about them, how to be mean. That's malice. And of course, envy is wanting what they have that you don't have. You're just always wanting something else instead of being grateful for what you have. This is what lost people do. And when you live this way, you become hated by people, <laughs> right? This is, this is how you get hated. You live your life unconcerned about how your life affects other people's lives. And when there's problems, you don't care. You do your own thing. You don't go back to repair relationships. You leave a wake of relational dysfunction behind your life in broken relationships. It happens. And when you do that, you hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And lost people do this all the time. And sadly, when you treat people this way, they hate you. And in turn, you hate them back. But, I love that word, but, the Apostle Paul uses this word to stop that negative direction, that negative list of sinfulness, and remind us of the grace of Jesus. Titus 3, 4 and 5 says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So last week we talked about this appearing idea, this Greek word that really means sort of like an epiphany. In other words, you didn't see it and all of a sudden you do. It was invisible and now it's visible. See, we were living this lie, these lives of all these sinful things. This is who we were. Then all of a sudden, the grace of God appeared to us, and it changed us. It saved us when his goodness and loving kindness appeared to us. What does that mean, goodness and loving kindness? It means that he saved us, that God's goodness is all that matters. He was so kind in his love toward us. What does that mean? It means that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Still in the middle of all that mess, Christ died for us. Still doing the same things uh, of selfishness and wrong, Christ died for you. In the middle of that brokenness, he became poor so that we could become rich. Not financially, but rich in the things that matter most, the spiritual life of knowing him. Uh, Romans 3 talks about the fact that no one is righteous, no one seeks God, no one does good. That's who we were when we were lost. But by God's grace, he saves us. Praise God for his grace that saves us. Verse five says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Paul is making it very clear here, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago in our message called Werewolves. Jesus calls them uh, these people in the church who are wolves in sheep's clothing, if you will. They look like everybody else, but they have a different heart. They're, they're longing to change the gospel. Paul speaks about these, these folks, these Judaizers, these people that want to preach a different gospel in Galatians 1. And what, what, he's, what they're doing is they're trying to say, listen, to be a Christian, you've got to do good works so that you can be saved. To be a Christian, you must be circumcised. You, some people in a, a different denominations say, to be a Christian, you must be baptized. Well, listen, all of those things are good works. And it's, good works don't save you, only a good God who sends his only son to give you grace. That's the only way you can be saved. That's it. And so Paul here is obviously correcting these false teachers when he mentions this specific thing. He saved us not because of works done by us. He's making it clear, isn't he? I mean, this has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with the fact that we've done something good. No, he saved us because of his own mercy. He saved us because of his own mercy. I love the way he puts this in Ephesians so beautiful. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 and verse 8 says, But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. You didn't do this. You didn't make this happen. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Again, Paul making it so clear that we don't work for salvation. And he says, it's not a result of works, so no one can boast. That's exactly what these people were doing. They were boasting in how good they were and because of how good God saved them. No. No. That's a false gospel. The grace of Jesus doesn't need your work. The grace of Jesus uh, saves you without any of your, something that you bring to, uh, to this process. He saved us from that list of sinfulness. And he did it by Christ washing us and regenerating us. Some people in this verse, in verse 6, in verse 5 and 6, think that has to do with baptism. It doesn't. When, when the Lord washes and regenerates us, that's an internal work of the Holy Spirit. That's something that only he can do. Only the blood of Jesus can wash us by his grace. It's, it's a spiritual work. He uses this word regeneration, which is, uh, use, another word for that is rebirth. Some of your translations may use the word rebirth. And when I, when I say rebirth, I can't help but think about the conversation between Jesus and this Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. You find a story in John 3. This, this leader of the Jews in Jerusalem comes to Jesus in the cover of night and says, what is this stuff you're talking about? We realize that you're from God because you do works that only someone from God can do. But what, are, what do you mean by all this? And Jesus tries to tell them, Listen, you're not born again, right? You've not been regenerated. That's, that's what Jesus is literally saying here. He says, you know all the right stuff. You, you may have all the right rules and things down, but your heart has not been changed. You've not been born of the Spirit. And the guy says, well, should, should a person uh, enter his mother's womb again and be born again? It doesn't make sense. How is that supposed to happen? And Jesus says, no, everybody has to be born of water from his mom, right? But also born of the Spirit, there is a spiritual rebirth that happens that regenerates your life. You're, you're brought from death to life. That's what God does when he regenerates us. Theologian Millard Erickson says, regeneration is the other side of conversion. It is completely God's doing. It is God's transformation of individual believers, his giving a new spiritual vitality and direction to their lives when they accept Christ. It involves something new a whole reversal of a person's natural tendencies. You're not the same person. You've gone from who you were and you're becoming to be who God wants you to be. But all in a moment, God changes you and makes you new. Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're not the same people. Praise God. Praise God. I'm not the same person that I once was, that Christ has regenerated me and renewed me. Renewal is something that also happens in, internally in us. He gives a, our lives this fresh start, this new purpose, right? We, where we were dead, that has gone away, and life, real life in Christ has come. And I think about renewal and renovation. I can't help but think about my sister-in-law, Sarah McDaniel. Um, this is Lori's sister. She's a wonderful lady. We love her so much, Aunt Sarah, to us. Uh, several years ago, she went through a very painful divorce and was really in a bad place. And she turned to Jesus. And as a part of her healing from that divorce and from that difficult time in her life, she bought this little broken down, dirty, rat infested little house in Minden, Louisiana. <laughs> I mean, it was rough, vines covering it, trees growing. I mean, it was just a bad place. No one had lived in it for a long time. Somehow she saw beauty in the brokenness of that place. She literally uh, started renovating it with some different companies and people to help her. She turned that little home into a gorgeous cottage, literally now on the covers of many home design magazines. It's a phenomenal place. She calls it the Simply Southern Cottage. What I love about her story and how she uses her story is, and she gives all the glory to God, she, she's given that house actual value now. That house means something. It, it was nothing. It was dead. It was, should have just been bulldozed. 
But she didn't see that. She saw value in it when there was none, just as Jesus does in us. And she gave that little house a meaning and purpose. It's now being used to showcase her design, her heart, and more importantly, the story of Jesus and what he does in you and in me. See, just like Sarah, he moves in to this broken and busted life that is a mess where many people might have looked at my life and said, there's no hope. He's too sinful. He's done too many things. And the Lord moved in, and he began to do a work that only he could do. And why did he do it? Well, now my life can showcase how good he is, how awesome our God is. My life can become a, a, a masterpiece, his word says. I don't know, that's not bragging for me. This is what God does in all of our broken lives. He moves in and he renovates. He changes everything for his glory. It's not about us. But Ephesians tells us that that work in us is what he calls a masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. Some of your Bibles say masterpiece. For we are his workmanship or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is what he does in our lives. We, we've been sinful and broken people, and God loves us. He moves in us, and he shows his workmanship, his masterpiece through us. He does it by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, we're going to wrap up today. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. First thing I want you to see in this is that he mentions the Trinity, the triune God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as a part of this salvific work. When God saves us, every member of the Trinity is involved, right? There's this beautiful, collaborative, collective move of God that changes you and that changes me. Notice this, God our Savior saved us. He washed us, regenerated us, renewed us by the power of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly on us through Jesus, all three members of the Trinity involved in that. I love how Paul says that he richly poured out the Holy Spirit on us. Have you ever been to a, a, a buffet somewhere, or you've ever been to a dinner where there's so much food and everybody's like, just eat as much as you want, have a blast, right? Or some place where you, you can just overindulge and it's just an amazing place. It's, whoa, that's kind of the image here. In other words, God's grace has been poured on you. It has everything you need for salvation and sanctification. There's more than enough grace to go around. You may go, I, I don't know if God can ch change this. I'm not sure God can save this or do a work in this. I'm not sure I can ever be his masterpiece with all the mistakes I've made. Listen, God poured richly on your life the power and the, work, the working of benefits of the Holy Spirit, and he can do anything that's needed. There's more than enough. All right, the last thing, we've been reminded to live this doctrine. Uh, we, we need to be ready to do good works so that we can honor God with our lives and people can see him in the works that we do. We need to remember who we've been, the brokenness, and yet uh, what God has done to save us and change us. Remember that. And lastly, we rejoice. We rejoice not in who we've been, but who we're becoming, right? Romans 8.23 says, for we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we, we wait uh, eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What Paul's talking about in, in Romans there is he's talking about Jesus coming again. He's coming again, and, and we can look forward to it, and our text today speaks to that, right? At the very end of verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, when Jesus saves us, he not only cleans us up and regenerates and renews us, he makes us a promise. The Bible says his Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption when Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes again, his promise, his salvation is made complete, and we are the sons and daughters of God. That's what we have, this blessed hope to wait for. That is what God is doing in us. Can I just tell you this morning, listen, 
our hope, this blessed hope, is not in what we can accomplish. It's not how good we can be, but in how completely good our God has been to us in sending Jesus, forgiving us, saving us, washing us, renewing us, justifying us, giving us new life and a promise for his return. God is so good. And in this letter to Titus, Paul just, he mentions these four things that we need to be reminded of and remember today. Be reminded to live a certain way. Are you living for Christ in the way that he, he says to live in his word? See, this doctrine is not just something we learn cognitively. It ought to be some, a life that we live authentically. It ought to be who we are. So we need to be reminded of that. We need to be ready. Every opportunity we get to serve and make Jesus look good to adorn this doctrine, we need to do that. We need to be ready to do good works. We need to remember who we were, yes, the brokenness of our lives. Remember, because it won't be much longer when you remember that, that you remember the goodness of the grace of Jesus that's changed your life and that leads you to worship. So remember the brokenness, yes, but also the grace and goodness and loving kindness and mercy of our God. And then lastly, we rejoice. We rejoice because we don't live in that place anymore. That's not who we are. We are a new creation and we have a promise of God, the hope of eternal life, his second coming. He's coming again and we can be ready. So friends, I want to encourage you this morning. So glad that you joined us. But let's remember who we were and let's rejoice for who we're becoming. That is God's will for our lives. And we live by it. We remember it. We love it. We live in it. And we honor Christ when we do it. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the beautiful doctrine and gospel of salvation in this text. Lord, my prayer today with all that I am, is that there's somebody listening to this message on Facebook, online, on YouTube, wherever they see this or hear this, Lord, that if they don't know you as their Savior, if they've been living in that list of sinfulness, they identify in that place, God, would you convict their soul of that sin? Would you move in them, Lord, that in a way that only you can, God, and help them to see they need your forgiveness. They need your everlasting life that you promised even to Nicodemus in John 3.16. If they believe, if they will seek you, Lord, if they will trust you for salvation, you will save them. And will you do it today? Even as I pray, God, I pray that they're asking you to forgive them of their sin, that they believe in you, that they believe you died for them, and they are authentically uh, coming before you, Lord, in confession saying, I'm sorry for my sin, please save me, Lord. And as they do that, God, would you change them and let their lives of repentance now be this beautiful work of grace that the whole world can see that you are good and you are God, that you can change people like me and that can even be a masterful work of your goodness and of your grace. Lord, we love you. May we represent you to this, this watching world and honor you with our lives. Thank you for our church. Pray that you be with all of our people that are uh, watching this today and all, even all those that are not. God, continue to draw us together. Keep us safe from COVID and this weather, and we trust you with all of our lives. We love you, and we give you this time in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for watching. We're going to have some of these questions uh, that you're going to be able to go over in uh, your city groups. They've got questions that you can look at that. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Take care.